Welcome to the Austin Morris New Zealand podcasts. Um, today we are in the North Island city of Palmerston North and we're talking to local musician, songwriter and producer Mark Patterson. Welcome Mark. Hi Dave, thanks, thanks very much. Now we're talking about the subject of pop music which is a fairly amorphous sort of a topic and I want to ask you two questions as we start. Sure. Yep. So I've often used as everyone does that term pop music without yep. thinking about it is that a shortening for something? Yeah, I, I guess it's I guess it's it's popular music. But what's what's happening with with popular music now is it's kind of getting divided and divided and divided, sort of in the same way that you you think about if you've got a if you've got a meter ruler and you chop it in half and you keep chopping it in half, how many times can you do that until all the bits are tiny? Right. Well, and that brings me to my other question. So the sort of theme of our talk today is going to be deviations from the norm. Sure. Pop, pop music, deviations from the norm. And so what I was going to ask you was that if we deviate from the norm, are we then in the realms of popular music or not? <laughs> well, I, I think popular music is quite a conservative force, and even people that um, allegedly are deviations from the norm, which is quite a fancy phrase, isn't it? But even people like that um, are quite straightforward when you see them um, when you see them without their pop music clothes on. Okay, so. If you were going to categorise deviations from the norm of popular music, what areas would you home in on? I mean, what comes to your mind? Well, one of the things I've been really interested in is the the, um, the way that we can analyse everything now with computers. And so there's an American study that looked at popular music from 1960 through to um, 2010, and they looked at the billboard charts and they analysed the songs according to the content, the lyrics, the type of music it was, the type of chords that were played, the type of drums that were played. And they came up with um, some quite interesting findings. And what I'd like to ask you, Dave, is if you look from 1960 to now, say, and you had to choose three years where um, where popular music was in a state of revolution. What years would you choose? Goodness gracious me. Well, the first year or song that comes to my mind is the Beatles song, A Day in the Life. And, and I regarded Sgt Pepper's album as, in inverted commas, revolutionary. So I don't know whether that's the correct answer or not, but that's my first right. one. And I think that was 1967, wasn't sure, it? Sure, that's right. OK, so number one. And I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you for two more. Goodness me. So we're looking for times when when you could um, you you could look at the pop music um, scene as burgeoning yes. and as there being new things happening that were totally new and totally novel. And I guess by novel we're meaning deviating from the norm, so Right. Wow. Um, I'm I'm at a bit of a loss actually, but 
one of the um, ones is the Sex Pistols. Now, I didn't follow the Sex Pistols, but this sort of angry type of music um, that came out of that era uh, where people were almost fermenting a riot on stage and attacking each other and, and using very angry um, words um, struck me sure. as... Now, what year was that? Do you know? So, I, I reckon the Sex Pistols were 1978. Okay. I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to expand on this after, oh, I, after you've I asked am. me the three questions. I am. And while, while we just leave our listeners to have a little bit of a, a, a listen to some of my own music, and, and you can decide for yourselves if it deviates from the norm much, which it doesn't, um, have a think on what three years they were, and we'll have a little break for the music. that was sung by Grace Marcroft and produced by Mark Angel. Right, thanks. Hopefully you've um, had a wee cogitation on that. Dave, your first one was was a little bit too late. In uh, 1964 was the time when um, people discovered that there was a real difference in music. And partly that was the time of the British invasion, but partly also... It was um, the American music scene was burgeoning itself at that time. Okay, so I know from my youth and my very young youth that the sort of music that I absolutely loved and danced to and so forth um, would have been the Animals. Uh, I thought they were a great um, rock and roll band, blues, rhythm and blues band. Sure, yeah. Uh, so they were part of the British invasion, but there was a lot of crossover, was there not, between American blues and British music? Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course there was, and there was the there was that strange situation where um, some of the the best British bands were the ones that could get the American. Um, Records sent to them the quickest, and then they could write something similar and play it. Right. So there was definitely um, there was definitely a lot of movement. If you think about the the origins of the blues, were then getting shipped across the Atlantic and then getting shipped back to the Americans. But um, apparently, they people say that the Americans were inventing themselves at that time, and that's what that study showed. The next year, you, it was was I was really interested in it. It wasn't 1978. It was 1983, okay. and the big change was not punk, which I guess may have been less an American thing than um, 
was able to be seen on the study that they did. But the next big change was 1983, and that was the emergence of the synth pop um, bands. So there's one more year after 1983 that was a was a great revolutionary year in music. All right. Well, and I suppose I might as well make it three out of three wrong. Um, <laughs> the the one that comes to my mind um, is rap music. The advent of rap. Um, and I've got to say that it caught me unawares, but all of a sudden I was aware of young people wearing trousers around their ankles and um, wearing sort of hood, as in the neighbourhood type clothes, and talking a different talk and using sign language, and I think the rap went with that. Yeah, and it's fascinating to look at rap, um, it was 1991, and the, one of the most one of the most used records in that time was a version of Apache, and the part of Apache that was used the most was the part that they call the breakout, which was where it goes down to drum and bass, and it was played by a, a kind of a made-up band from the west coast of America that that nobody's ever really heard of, but that particular track. When it was taken in isolation and repeated, often, um, often constantly, that was the origins of rap. Goodness me! So you're talking about the Shadows song Apache? Yeah, that's right. And um, and in the very early days, before they had samplers, they would actually have two copies of the record playing. So one would play the breakout. And when the breakout was finished, the, the, they'd play the breakout on the other one. And in the meantime, somebody would be rapping over the top of it. So it's fascinating that the three years that we think are possibly the most um, important years in popular music, 1967, 1978, and I'd even struggle after 1978, didn't actually occur in this scientific study. Instead of 1967, it was 1964, so it was a little bit earlier. Instead of 1978, it was 1983. But I think probably everyone would agree that rap in 91 was the um, was revolutionary and a great breakout. Okay. So we um, are going to look at some of the singers and songwriters and the uh, music that has deviated from the norm o over time and just within this framework um, what songs come to your mind uh, what songwriters um, come to your mind gosh um so many right and um it, it, it makes me think that perhaps sometimes people deviate from the norm just because they can. Um, there's a guy called Gigi Allen who's a who's a punk singer who did um, kind of indecent acts with bananas on stage. And if there wasn't anybody to see him doing it, would it matter? I don't know. <laughs> but... Um, he didn't get any sponsorship from Benita or anything like that. Um, Lemmy from Motorhead, 
He used to play the bass in a really distinctive way. Lemmy reckoned that there was nobody else on earth that could um, play the bass like that. But, and I'm not sure that that's completely right, but it certainly, he certainly had a kind of a, a rhythmic, a kind of a cross between strumming and, um, and plucking that, that was quite unique. And in New Zealand, our own Darcy Clay wrote a song that really came to prominence long after he was dead, when it was chosen as one of the top New Zealand original songs of all time. And it was called Jesus, I Was Evil. And he did it in his bedroom. And um, three those are the three that come to mind out of a plethora of people that deviate from the so-called norm. Right. How do such artists get their work out there because you have these enclaves around the world and and you have some really strange combinations where certain artists are big time in Finland or Iceland or Timbuktu so how how did those things occur for a start off? Well I I think that perhaps there is the possibility for, for, for art like that, music art, to become more local with the, the fact that we can record things and share the share it amongst our friends. So um, just to break things up, we're, we're sticking a couple of the songs that I've written in here. Okay. And the, the one that's going to go in here is, is one that's a tribute song. And it's a tribute song to Arthur Lee from the band Love. And Love were a band that deviated from the norm in that they were, firstly, they were nearly as popular as The Doors in their day, and you can see posters from the time, the late 1960s, with the band Love in highlights and The Doors as second fiddle, to coin a phrase to them. Mm. And the second reason, the way that they deviated from the norm is that they were a mixed race band. Now, um, Arthur Lee um, had a checkered career, and he had a time where he was... Away from music, but he was always a poet, and I loved the comment that he made in his um, in the documentary that they made about him. And he was talking about his time in prison, and he said, "You know, it's like arrest everyone that's black and poor, put them inside, and lock the door." And it was like in in, in the poet's way of describing a social situation. It was just perfect. So perhaps we can listen a little bit to. Arthur Lee sung by Olivia. If I've been running out, I'm telling the truth. If I've been running out, I'm telling a lie. If I've been running out, I'm telling the truth. If I've been running out, I'm telling a lie. If I've been running out, I'm telling the truth. If I've been running out, I'm telling a lie. If I've been who are almost outsiders. So when you, when you talk about Arthur's um, time in prison and the thoughts that emanate from that, uh, and as someone who's worked in prisons, I, I know that there is a lot of artistic energy within prisons, but it just serves to shed the spotlight on those who are, for want of a better term, left of centre, out in the cold in society, um, and it seems to me that 
music has a way of reaching the dispossessed and and those who and and almost bringing them back into the fold well yeah and uh, possibly it does there there are people who are um who are musicians who are who don't really function outside outside the four walls of their own house yeah but music also has a, a way of looking at people satirically um, in, a, in a way that perhaps print can't. So to be really selfish, I'm going to bring in another one of my songs here, which is called Lizard, and it's about a guy called David Icke who believes that um, the world is run by shape-shifting reptilians. He's a conspiracist, but one of the... Um, one of the things that fascinates me about him is that I can't work out whether he's uh, he believes what he says or he's just having us all on. I'm not I'm not quite sure. He's he started out his life as a professional footballer. He was a goalie, and um, his breakout moment came after his career when he was on a talk show, and he started talking about being. Um, being sent by God to tell people about the reptilian aliens that are running the world. So he's a classic example of an outsider. So did David Icke inspire you to write your song, Lizard Man? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what it's about, really. So, um, and he, in turn, David Icke, inspires enormously loyal followers. I mean... (laughs) When you talk about what he what he um, what he believes, it's so bizarre. But on the other hand, people yeah, like to have something to believe. So let's have a little bit of a listen to this low yes. This world doesn't exist as we see it. It means that things like shapeshifting become explainable. Very dystopian machine-controlled society. Well, I'm a shape-shifting god-fearing alien man. I'm a lizard. That's what I am I'm a lizard I'm half a man See me walking by In the blink of an eye I'm a lizard That's what I am I'm a lizard I'm half a man Might be wealthy, be wise Beyond the disguise I'm a lizard That's what I am I'm a lizard, I'm half a man I was born in the middle of a volcano I'm a lizard, that's what I am Okay, now that is an extremely catchy tune and I know I've heard people humming and singing it around the local neighbourhood, around the local town so you're you're almost known as Lizard Man now. Um, are you taking over from David Ike? Yeah, well, it's okay, David Berry. I have a thick skin. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so that that could almost be um, an anthem for David Ike's followers, could it not? Well, it could. That's right. Like, do, uh, uh, do they realise that he's taking the mick? Or not? Are they taking the mick by believing in him? I don't know. It's kind of a little bit like that flat earth society um, that you can belong to, where people belong to it because they believe that the circular earth, the finite earth, is a capitalist plot. And that 
if the and if the earth was flat and infinite, there would be enough um, property for everybody. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe David Icke's followers go along with it for go along with him for a similar sort of reason. If you want to look at deviations from the norm, and, and we seem to be heading out a fair way away from the norm, um, mm-hmm. and, and which brings me back to my original thought, I wonder how popular deviations are. And yet, as I say, we have these enclaves, and, and then they have a potential to amalgamate. Um, but there must be many people in the world who hold uh, different ideas and and they can respond to those ideas being translated into lyrics so is that what you were on about as as a songwriter yeah i think um i think and maybe i've spoken about this before a songwriter's job is to observe and um if we're looking at, at, at deviations from the norm you can't get much more of a deviation than donald trump can you i mean um and yet we're looking at perhaps a, a second term for him, and that's what um, that's what our song "Red to Pay" is about. Is about someone who is completely out of the norm. Now I thought that you had been denying that it was about Donald Trump. So here we have it <laughs> on on the record that that it is, um, and and I think that this is the time to have a listen to to that song, which. Could almost become as famous as Lizard Man, so take it away. Here we go, here it is. Right around the time things are looking up, a cowboy rode in his ginger hair and muck. We all turned to look at this demagogue, he worshipped money, we thought him hard. We bought a house just down the road He thought he'd found another load We heard him cry the strangest things We wondered who was pulling his strings Don't put your trust in the money cars They'll let you down Despite the odds Don't put your trust in the money man and that was Red Toupee featuring uh, Paul Gange on drums and Derek Morris on guitar. Thanks, Dave. Right, so we're having a bit of a musical journey and, and we're talking about popular music. We're talking about deviations from the norm and, and those who have made some sort of mark in the world. And I think that you, Mark... Um, are making a mark in the world in your own sort of quiet way um, and there are several other songs of yours that have particularly caught my attention and sure. one of those is Country now there's quite an intriguing story behind that song is there not? <laughs> yeah well it's, a, it's an interesting story in the way that uh, that a songwriter needs to be alert to the things around him or her and, and how they happen so this particular song came about from a, from a teenager who was um, talking about how she was forced to think about her goals all the time and um, and, and she had a little presentation where she said, I've got my goals all sorted. I've got a hundred year plan. 
And at the end of her 100-year plan, this is all tongue-in-cheek, obviously, she says, at the end of my 100-year plan, I'm going to be a country. And I loved that, and that became the opening lines for the song Country. When I grow up, I'm going to be a country. And it might be a good time to listen to it now. It's, you can take from it what country featuring the beautiful voice of Nicola Hooker. All right. Now, whatever happened to the poet who said, no man is an island? Are you seeking, <laughs> seeking to contradict him? <laughs> uh, well, possibly. I'm, I, I think country might be saying that, that every person is an island. Yeah. Um, and that says to me that you know, we, we seek to have boundaries around ourselves and to be self-contained. Um, mm-hmm. And to that degree, I like the message of country because mm. it sort of encourages um, people beyond that hackneyed phrase of being an individual to, to, you know, seriously think about who they are and what they're on about in life. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, songwriting is a, is a particularly um, soul-opening craft. And when you talk to young songwriters, it's the lyrics that they find most difficult. And lyrics and songs occupy a special place. In one sense, you could fill a song up with those um, that Latin body text. I, I don't know if you have seen that, when you when you get a template on... on um, like Microsoft Word or Apple Pages, um, it's filled up with Latin text that then you put your own text into it. Okay, I, I haven't, I must admit. So in, in, one, in one sense, songs can, can work like that. But in another sense, the, the words that go with the song are completely integral to it. And changing a particular word from of to, to the has, can change a, a whole meaning of it. But when songwriters write a song, they give up the right, I think, to say what it's about. It becomes everybody's property. And perhaps that's the soul-bearing part of it that song, young songwriters find difficult. To that extent, do you not wish to make too explicit interpretations of your songs and put them out there in the public arena? Yeah, I guess. I, I guess I'm quite keen to, to talk about the motivation or the um, the push that that made a particular song be written. But if if somebody wants to believe that your song that you wrote about daisies in a meadow is about polar bears and the ice cap, then, yeah, that's all good. Good luck to them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, you're a mathematician, a maths teacher, 
and um, a physics man, mm-hmm. uh, and you understand realms that many of us don't, um, you've actually written a song that um, touches on those subjects, haven't you? Yeah, well, this, this song is called Dark, and um, it, I, I always worry if it's, if it's maybe a little bit trite, but anyway, what it is about, it's, about, it's simple, it's about dark matter. The, the, the whole thing in the universe that we can't see but it's also about the spaces that there are between people so although there's a lot of um, people can be great friends and mates and lovers they don't necessarily know exactly what's going on in the other person's mind so that was I was kind of trying to draw a little bit of a link between the universe atoms, people, and the space between them. Is that giving too much away? No, probably not. I mean, to me, as an individual seeking to maybe gain some meaning from that, what springs to my mind is is relationships and, and how relationships can be close, how they can drift apart, or how they can be miles apart. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, that's nice. I, I like that. And... Um, Maybe uh, I love the idea of of people being kind of like atoms, and there is there is a little bit of um, there is a l- little bit of research now about how you can get an atom to behave in a certain way, even though you're a long distance away from it, and people can't quite work out why that might be. And maybe that's the same with people. If you've got two people who are a couple, one person might be behaving in a certain way that's been affected by the other person even though they are miles apart anyway let's have a bit of a listen to it this is dark great it's sung by bridget home that strikes me most is that deviations from the norm um, account for those who maybe feel disaffected and out in the cold and in a roundabout way help to bring the disaffected back into a fold or make them feel as though they're part of something And, and, and music can play that role absolutely it can and uh, um you don't you don't need to look any further than at, at your at, at a football game where people are chanting together or at a concert where people are jumping up and down together in, in, in time with each other to see that music is the unifying force there mark this has been an erudite discussion as ever. Thank you. With you being the kingpin to that. And um, thank you very much for your thoughts. And, and I hope 
that this podcast can reach the disaffected of this world in a, in a fairly monumental way. Right, and let's not hope it makes them more disaffected. Thank you very much, Dave.